we have the basic needs. We have the basic needs to belong, to be, to feel supported, to feel encouraged, to feel engaged, to want to be a part of something that's bigger than we are. And when you're playing a concert, depending on what you're playing it for, you are part of something that's bigger than you. Welcome to the Being Human is Good for Business podcast. In each episode, the leadership development experts at Trilogy Effect explore how the process of self-discovery unleashes potential in us all. Now, here's your host, Sherilyn Starkey. Hello, I'm Sherilyn Starkey. Welcome to Being Human is Good for Business, the podcast for business leaders who want to build high-performance teams. Today, I'm joined by Heather Morass and Mary Beth Sawicki from Trilogy Effect, the leadership development experts. And together, we are welcoming Gerald Leonard. Not only is he a jazz musician and bassist, he's also the CEO of a management consulting firm, and he works with some of America's top companies. He combines both worlds in his new book. It's called Workplace Jazz, How to Improvise. And the book explains how using improvisation in the workplace can improve teamwork, increase agility in decision-making, and deliver better results overall. Welcome to the show, everyone. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. So happy to have you here on the call today. We were fascinated when we when we learned about your new book because we, we were just wondering, like, how does a jazz musician come to own and run a successful <laughs> management consulting firm like yours? It's a little bit of a lane change. It's quite a bit of a lane change. I've had a few of those, but but honestly, it's it, it really boils back to the lessons I learned from learning how to play music. Mm-hmm. One of the lessons I learned was you pay for good advice. You, you, you pay for lessons. You have to, pra- you have to l- deliberately practice your craft. You have to play well with others. You have to listen to what your audience wants and listen to the other people in the band who are playing so that not only are you playing the right notes, but you're playing the right feel, the tempo. You're creating the right culture within the, within the group. And it happened that after I finished my master's and did a year with my teacher's teacher in Manhattan through Manhattan School of Music in Juilliard and did about six years in some ministry work while I was still playing, I decided I really wanted to go back full-time into music. But at that time, I was married with two kids. And it was at the time where if you could spell IT, you could get in. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so I could spell IT. And what I didn't realize, though, was when I switched careers and, and did some financial consulting at first and then got into the business consulting and IT consulting was that music had prepared me for it because the logic behind technology and organization and the, even writing code where you're seeing symbols, yet it delivers something that's real, was all in the framework of music. Right. And so, and, and, and even while I was in college, I had a math teacher ask me, he was like, why are you a music major? You should be a math major. I said, well, I mm-hmm. love music. I don't love math. I was good at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so by being able to do that, I was able to make a really good living, grow, develop certifications, get into certifications and things, make a good living at it, and keep playing. Well, I've heard it said that mathematicians make the best musicians, and certainly they also make the best code writers, so I can certainly see the alignment there. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of like major people. Einstein was a musician. Yeah. Henry Ford was a violinist. 
Right. In fact, he owned one of the largest classical collection of violins in, in, in the U.S. at the time mm-hmm. when he was alive. And he was a, he was a trained violinist. So yeah. music plays a major part in, in development. And something I learned, I wrote about it in my book, was called whole brain integration. Yes. Where you, you basically, over time, develop the ability to have both hemispheres working simultaneously because you're thinking about the big picture and you're paying attention to the details and through musical training, you de- that you develop that capability so that you can see the big picture and work on the details at the same time, pretty naturally. Yeah. And what I hear and what I've read of your work and what I've listened is how well you maintain an equilibrium or a balance between the artistry and the science. Yes. Yes. of yes. the disciplines that are coming together. And I think we find certainly in our work that organizations can easily over rotate on one of those usually on the science side and right. forget about the art exactly and it really is a it's a it's a fine balance between the two because music can be looked at very scientifically i mean you can break it down yeah. to counting the notes and the pitches and all the different things and the vibrations and so on but you can also realize that it has so much more to do with the art and the feel. Yeah. And it's funny because I was talking, I was on one interview and I was talking to someone about like the way I look at teams and rolling out projects and doing work. And I said that because of my background as a musician, when I'm working with a team and we're rolling something out in a large organization, I look at the large organization as members who are in the audience, mm. right? The people who are coming to me and saying they need this work done, they're in the front row. But the people that are really going to carry out the work, they may be sitting in the balcony. Yeah. And you may never meet them personally, but what you're going to roll out is going to impact them and affect Mm -hmm. them. And so as a musician, you're always thinking, okay, we got the front row covered because they're right here. But the folks are in the back. Can they hear? Can Uh they see? Are we we giving them a great experience? Are they going to walk away and go, man, that's one of the best concerts I've ever been to? And by thinking that way, even from a business perspective, then you make sure that from a cultural perspective, as well as just inclusiveness across the board, Mm -hmm. that you're thinking about everyone who's involved, all the stakeholders who are part of the project, and really considering what their experience is going to be. You have, I think it's the title of your first book, Culture is the Base. (laughs) (laughs) I just find that expression so intriguing and would love you to just share a bit about that. What, what is meant by that? Because we are in our business, which is definitely working on the human side of things because we're all about being human is really quite good for business. We're always asked to have an impact or help people have an impact on their culture. So I am quite curious and intrigued by culture is the base. Say more. Exactly. (laughs) So think about your favorite songs. Just think about one of your favorite songs. And what do you hear in your head? More likely when you turn it on, you hear the first thing is you hear the bass. You're the drummer of the bass. And as soon as you hear that, you know exactly what genre, the artist, the style, whether you should just kind of lay back and sway or whether you should get up and dance. Right. Right. Just based on, and there's no words. It's just... And in fact, when you go to a concert and you hear the bass and drums, you don't just see it and hear it. You feel it, right? There's a feeling that you you can feel it physically. Well, when you walk into a really good company or store, what do you sense when you walk in? You you sense their culture, Mm -hmm. right? Is it 
complementary? Is it service oriented? Are the people up front just, or is it snippy? Is it backbiting? Is it intense? I did a certification with Judith Glazer before she passed away in conversational intelligence and mm-hmm. neuroscience. And so that's a big part of, you know, combining the things that I do between productivity, workplace culture, neuroscience, and music, and using music yeah. as a metaphor. And in her work, she found out that in 0.07 seconds in, in interfacing or working with someone, you can tell their intent based on Wow. Just the feeling that you have. I mean, it's like you, you you jump on a call and you know this, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be fun. Or, oh my goodness, this is not going to be fun. <laughs> because, oh yeah, right? You, you know that. Oh, yeah. and the reason we know that is because conversations are chemical. Our brain starts secreting oxytocin, dopamine, and serotonin, all those positive neurochemicals right up front if it's a positive environment. And so we feel good. Uh-huh. But if we know it's a negative our brain starts secreting adrenaline and cortisol. Mm-hmm. And we, we get tense in our neck and we feel yeah. uptight and we know well, something's, I'm not, I can't put my finger on it, but this is not going to go well. And it does. Yeah. And I can't, and I can't wait to get out of here. Right. <laughs> hey, exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. So the whole idea behind culture is the base is that culture is the foundation yeah. of an organization and it's more than just the science of culture. It's the feel. It's how, how people are treated. And in fact, in the book, I list seven things through my research. I, I reviewed a number of case studies through Harvard Business Review, looked at articles from MIT, the Wharton School. I love peer review type material because uh, I know it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm getting the real deal and it's well researched. And there were seven things that kept coming out about culture. It was the vision, the values. It was stories, it was buy-in, it was best practice, it was the environment, and it was the way everyone executed. And so that became my model for the book. And I really just drive down into those, again, using music as a metaphor to describe the process. But if you have a great vision and values, but the the team doesn't buy in, it's not going to happen. It's not going to go anywhere. And the way they buy in is through stories. I love that in your book. By the way, all the stories that you told were very engaging and really like drew me in as I was reading. So there's a lot of power in storytelling. Exactly. Yes, yes. Plus, it's more fun. Well, it's, it's more way more fun. fun. It's more fun, and we're 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 made neurologically. We're made for storytelling. That's why you, you watch a movie and you think, "Ah, oh, is this going to be a good movie?" And the story kind of kicks off, and you're like, "Whoa, this is a really good movie." Well, what? It was a good story. And it kept yeah. you intrigued. It put you on edge. And you're like, and you, you could see yourself in the main characters and so on. I have a new book coming out called A Symphony of Choices. And this one, Ooh. instead of it being nonfiction, it's a parable. And it's about a bass player who, in a, in a symphony orchestra who finds that he's been tapped on the shoulders to be the orchestra manager as well. And he has to go and learn all these principles about productivity and project management and so on and decision-making so he works with a professor to learn how to do those things. But again, it's the story. It's the story that pulls people in, that gets pe- people thinking and, and, and really seeing how they can uh, execute and how they right. can implement some of the things that we're talking about. And when does that come out? That's going to come out probably in the beginning of the year. Right now, I just finished up the manuscript. It's with my okay. editor. And then I'll be then sharing it with my literary agent. And I have a publisher that's interested. And we'll go from there. Workplace jazz. 
why do you think that now is the time for a book like Workplace Jazz? Because of, it's not just because of the pandemic. It's like the pandemic was part of a perfect storm, right? I mean, we had the economy. We had the racial tension. We had the pandemic. And, and then it was kind of like the situation that happened in Minneapolis, I can't breathe. But everyone yeah. felt that. Yeah. Not just because of that. They felt that because they were stuck in a house dealing with the pandemic. They felt that because of where things were economically. They just felt so suppressed by so many different angles in that. And now we have the great resignation. Right. Yeah. And, and companies are struggling to find workers. And, and the workers are have finally realized, wait a minute, my life is short. I want to do something that matters. Exactly. And the whole idea behind Workplace Jazz is you want to build teams that matter. You want to build teams that connect. And from a musician standpoint, playing with a group of musicians, and it was, is what's so interesting about playing with musicians is you can get a group of musicians who are from different countries, speak different languages, and they're going to play a show together. They can read music and they can play a show together. They, not, they may not even be able to communicate verbally that well but they become best friends and they'll figure it out because the music just kind of pulls them together and it creates that kind of workplace jazz concept of regardless of our differences and so on, we can all, we're, we're all human. We have the basic needs. We have the basic needs to belong, to be, to feel supported, to feel encouraged, to feel engaged, to, 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 to want to be a part of something that's bigger than we are. And when you're playing a concert, depending on what you're playing it for, you are part of something that's bigger than you. Yeah. And you bring your best self to the table, but then you forget about everything you've been practicing and learning and you solely focus on the, the intent of the, of the show and the music. And you really tune in and listen to the other musicians and what they're doing so that what you're playing blends and sounds well and really upregulate the personality and the, the atmosphere yeah. of everyone's there. So I think right now with all of the attention and everything that we're going through, having a workplace jazz mindset and, and, and focus is critical. Whether you're working co-located together or virtually, you still feel the connection. Yeah. And I think, like you said, a lot of things converged and it became a bit of a perfect storm up until this whole crisis, I'll call it, of humanity happened was still kind of safe to dismiss the need for investing in the human side of our business. Right. You could still get things done. Right. And I think we're in a, a long moment of reckoning now to see that if we don't invest in the human side of the business and including how to work together and how to be human together, yes. it's actually to our detriment exactly. as a business. Exactly. But I think that I think the pandemic and a lot of things that have happened in the last couple of years have kind of equalized that a little bit. So one of the themes in your book is about embracing change. What, what guidance do you have for leaders who are trying to navigate these changing times? When you're embracing change and you're having to navigate, I think one of the main thing is you have to have one, a really clear picture of where you're trying to go. Right. And you got to have a, a model or a set of values or standards of how you're going to get there, where you're going to go. But then you also then have to get everyone engaged. And again, I go back to stories 
And this is why I, I love using stories in my books and stories about different types of people, because stories are the things that move your head, heart, and hands. I mean, think about yeah. the, the time you watch the movie and the movie's over and you're like wiping tears away. It's like, what happened? <laughs> right? It's like, well, you heard, you saw, you experienced a story that moved your heart. And depending on what the story's about, you, you may think, wow, I'm going to do different. I'm going to treat my spouse different. I'm going to do something different with my kids because of that movie or that story. So stories are so important in organizations. How do we get to where we are? Where are we going? Why are we doing this? Because you want to get everyone engaged and on board. And a big part of that also is it's kind of like what you do in the military. The general may have the intent, but he lets the, the lower ranks develop yeah. the how-tos because they're close to the work. And sometimes that's what is required as well, is that you may have the intent of where you're trying to go, but let those who are close to the work that you've brought on, that you've hired for their expertise, let them use their expertise and create new ways of doing work that you might not have thought about, but that actually can get things done. Now, obviously, you got to manage that and work with that along with inside of, of boundaries. But by engaging them that way, you get their head, their heart, and their hands involved in the process. And I think that's so important right now. It's about yeah. trust, right? You have to it trust. It is about trust. Team. Exactly. I was listening to a LinkedIn, Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of, of, of Microsoft. Yeah. And I, I think he and Microsoft leadership put together a course. And I've kind of adopted their model for myself and my companies. And the model was to model, coach, and care. And that was their, their management philosophy. And he is an extremely bright guy. He's an extremely bright guy. But he, he started with Microsoft as a technician, like a server guy, and just, just an engineer. And he rolls up through the ranks. But his model, his mindset has been, whatever I want, my teams to be like or to do, then I need to model that. Yeah. Right. I need to set the example and model constantly learning, constantly growing technical expertise and business expertise and just fluidity and just, just, just model everything that he wants from the company. And then he needs to coach his leaders, not demand or beat on them to be this way, but to coach and to really pull it out of them. Right. But also to have the mindset of not only a model and coach, but I'm also going to let them know that I really care about them as human beings, as people. And, and honestly, I, I feel like I've, I've made that my model to lead in my companies because the modeling component is really important, even from a neuroscience standpoint, because we have something, all of us have something called mirror neurons. And it's basically, you see someone smile, then everyone around them wants to smile. Well, why is that? I mean, it's, it's a non-conscious reaction that we have. But if you see someone frown and kind of scour at you, 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 you shy away and you, you don't smile and you look, you look away. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's an automatic reaction. And so the modeling gives everyone around you a model to look at, yeah. right? So again, if you're growing and you're changing and you're developing and you're being what you want your company to be, then they're going to follow. Yeah. We're always making the point that knowledge does not equal practice. Exactly. You know, we can know a lot. I can read a lot of books 
and listen to all kinds of podcasts. And that doesn't mean I'm putting it into practice. And until I do, I'm not experiencing the awkwardness and the courage it takes yes. to try something, to get out on my edge and grow a bit. And if we aren't putting our own work into practice, just like you, we aren't much help to our clients. I wanted to bring the conversation back to coaching a little bit before we wrap it up. I observe that many people that get into leadership positions get there because of their technical expertise, but they're not born coaches, right? So what advice would you have for like new people newly coming into leadership roles that maybe aren't natural born coaches and don't really think of the world through that paradigm? I would say that one, you have to, realize that people are a lot more like the workers today are a lot more like classical artists or just musicians and artists. They have gone out, they've gotten their degrees, they've mastered their skill, whether it's a business analyst or writer or coder. And just like a conductor, you know, the conductor doesn't walk around and do management by walking around, right? He knows the concert. He knows the season. He knows the songs that they're going to play he, he knows what he wants the music to sound like, but as he's conducting and he's, you see the conductors doing their hands and so on, and he's kind of does this and, and so on and leans over to that group and looks and well, what he's doing is he's coaching. He's coaching the violin. Okay, guys, it's your time. They know it's their time, but he's saying, give me a little bit more. Come on, give me a little bit more. And, and, and he's coaching them. He's not sitting there saying, okay, I want you to give me more by uh, here's how you draw your bow. Here's uh-huh. where you put your finger. <laughs> they know that. Yeah. What they need is someone that says, okay, let's, we're going to create this beautiful symphony of work together. I need a little bit more of you right now. You know, I need a little bit more. And then no, you, hold back right now and, and, and so on. And so that's, that's really what leaders need to do is they need to look at a conductor. Just watch a symphony and watch what he does. And basically what he's doing is he's leading, but he's also coaching. Because again, the players know their parts. They know when they should come in. But he's there to kind of help emphasize, and he kind of, with, with his body, really, and almost like energy, he's pushing yeah. them to and pulling them to give more, to give less, to, to play together better, and so on. And he and doing rehearsals, having sat in, in orchestras, his goal is to basically share his vision of what the piece should sound like. And then he does that verbally. But he's also going to do that with his eyes. He's going to do that with his head. He's going to do that with his body. And he's going to lead and coach each one, the whole symphony, to kind of pull things out of them. And that's really what a great leader does. He realizes that his people are really good at what they do and that they've, they've taken steps to be a business analyst, a writer, a developer, or whatever they're good at it. Yeah. They had to audition. They got into the, to the yeah. company. And now they're sitting in first chair, second chair, whatever. And now they're playing the song. And his focus is, how do I get the most out of these musicians? I'm going to demand high standards, but I'm also going to pull them and coach them and, and motivate them. And part of that is that he had to learn that. Yeah, You, know, you can take classes on it. You can go to webinars. You can get coached yourself. That would be a good start. (laughs) (laughs) And and quite honestly, the first lesson I learned about being a musician was if I wanted to get good, I needed to go pay for a coach. I had to come out of my pocket as a kid 
because I was youngest of six. And I had to go and find a good coach and then pay for lessons. My parents didn't pay for lessons. They were like, we're going to feed you. We got six of you guys. We're going to feed you. and take." <laughs> now, if you want to do something like that, you got to get a little job and you're going to pay yeah. for it. So I got a little job and I went and made money, found a bass teacher and said, hey, could you teach me? And I paid him hmm. and he'd give me things to do. And I had to go home and practice it because now I'm paying you to tell me to get right. better. So I've got some skin in the game here. I better make yeah. Exactly. But even of even even as of today, I probably have five or six coaches that I pay. Yeah. We do the same thing. Mm -hmm. We're we're provide coaching, but we also have coaches. Exactly. 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 Because the more you grow and the the better you get is the more you realize how much you still don't know. The highest paid people in the world have coaches. Yes. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's even swing. at their, their, the height, LeBron James is a billionaire athlete. He still has a coach. Yeah. Because he knows if I can get a little bit faster, just seconds, nanoseconds faster, if I can get a little bit stronger, if I can shoot the ball a little bit more accurate, I'm going to continually keep winning. Yeah. And if I can find a coach that's going to give me a centimeter more advantage, that's all I need. And they realize that. And so they work towards that. So as, as a business leader, we have to be willing to say, I need to learn how to be a better coach. What books have I read about coaching? What webinars have I read about coaching? What workshops, shops? Do I have a coach that's teaching me how to be a better coach? Yeah, exactly. I would say hire a coach, get involved with, continually focus on that learning aspect, not because you're doing something wrong, but because you want to get better. And then be and then the whole mindset of being a lifelong learner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where can our podcast listeners buy a copy of your new book? Oh, they can get it from Amazon. They can get it from my publisher, Business Expert Press. But probably the, the, the fastest place to find it is on Amazon. I just so appreciate this opportunity to have you on our podcast because I do we do talk about the art and science of being in business of the way we can interact with each other. And so when this was first mentioned to us as a possibility, it was kind of like, hmm, (laughs) let's think. And then it was just, it was just such a natural fit and so interesting to us. So thank Thank you you. so much. Thanks to author and musician Gerald Leonard for joining me, Heather and Mary Beth on the show and for sharing so much great information and so many practical tips for leaders to take away and use. We learned why culture forms the foundation or the base of any successful organization and about the seven things you need to do to build a great one. We also learned how to use storytelling as a powerful leadership tool. We learned how leaders can use a jazz mindset to build teams that will go on to do great things. And we learned about the importance of coaching and being coached in any successful organization. If you'd like to learn more, find Gerald's new book, Workplace Jazz, How to Improvise on Amazon.com. Also, check the show notes for a link to that book and other resources that were mentioned in this podcast. If you have a second, please drop us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so that others may find us. And if you like the show, go ahead and recommend us to all your friends and colleagues who want to become better and more effective leaders. I'm your host, Sherry Lynn Starkey. And remember, being human is good for business.